Thanks so much for tuning in for part two of my interview with Patrick Givens, VP and head of VaynerSmart, VaynerMedia's Innovations and Emerging Technologies Division, which he founded in 2016. He's now leading this extension of VaynerMedia into emerging channels such as voice-first and messenger-based AI, connected retail, and interactive packaging. He also speaks around the world on topics such as conversational marketing, sonic branding, and ethical innovation. Patrick has been in the world of advertising for quite a while working at and alongside other agencies such as Anomaly, Droga5, Gray, and Havis Worldwide. He's seen the innovation and creativity of technology through a whole lot of different lenses, and I'm so excited to hear his take on what the marketing world is up to with the inclusion of sound as an element of branding. As I mentioned in part one, you may notice a difference in audio quality, and that's because this interview was recorded remotely through Zoom meetings. This was my first time using the platform, and so there were a few trial and error elements that I will apply on my next interview, so bear with me. There is some great information in these episodes, so sit back and enjoy. We pick up in part two, discussing the ethics of AI in these emerging technologies. It's not really a decision of whether or not to have an audio presence. I think for almost all brands, and certainly for the majority of our clients, they're producing sounds across media channels and their own properties in their retail spaces, digital products. They're making sounds all day, every day. Whether they're being thoughtful and choiceful about the sounds they're making or not, they're making sounds. Are you leaving it either up to chance or in a lot of cases at the discretion of whatever production partner a brand might be working on for a given asset? It's really a question of are you going to pay attention to those and try and get the most out of them as you have with in many cases, your visual brand. Very cool. Um, now, you got me interested. You were, uh, you're very interested in the ethics of AI. What, can you expand on that? I was curious. Absolutely. Yeah, so this has been, I think, again, by virtue of where we're sitting and trying to effectively, in some cases, be aware of, and in other cases, actually design some of the next channels for marketing, that means we're often playing with emerging technologies. We're often meeting a lot of the platforms and companies that will be potentially the next, you know, the next big companies that will grow a lot and will be the channels through which all of us are interacting with each other, interacting with content, all this stuff. And artificial intelligence plays a huge role in many of those products. And so we're trying to approach this space, again, both with an appreciation of the opportunity here, but also both for our own sanity, frankly, and uh, feeling that we're all um, hopefully contributing responsibly, but also in a, a straight business context for the brand safety of our clients. We try to put a good amount of effort up front with any new space into um, really contemplating the possible downsides, the ethical risks inherent in the space, and doing everything we can to uh, invest time up front to avoid the situation where down the road we deeply regret having worked in a space or put something out. So sometimes this, there's, I mean, this is a massive space. You can go all, all sorts of directions with it. But sometimes this means 
trying to proactively address, say, um, bias in some data sets that an AI system might be running off of, avoiding a situation where it, where the outcome, the, the experience at the end is biased toward one uh, demographic group or another. That's something that we know is an issue with a lot of existing products. And so we try as best we can to get out in front of that and to make sure uh, that our clients are cognizant of where the technologies sit. Um, avoiding situations of profiling if that's not uh, appropriate in a space. And then we're also very active um, in the intersection, I'll say, of kind of AI and creativity. So there's lots of conversation, and some of it, I'd say, is uh, ill-informed fear-mongering, but some of it is totally appropriate about the role of automation and AI whether it's elimination of jobs or uh, commoditization of creativity, there are lots of instances where automation can eliminate the role that is currently played by a person in a creative process. There's other instances where automation can be an incredible tool for creators that helps us uh, work at a bigger scale or just explore more options than we'd ever be able to consider otherwise. So it's uh, for us about trying to do the upfront rigor so that the work we put out in the world and what and the opportunities we're presenting clients with are at the very least, to the best of our ability, well-considered upfront. It's not to say we're always gonna catch everything, but we also think it's uh, kind of our obligation to try. Yeah, and I think that that's a conversation, uh, you know, like the ethics of, really just like human growth. Uh, it's just something that we've just been talking about time time over time, like for the hundreds of years. I mean, even talking about when the railroad came around, you know, like the railroad gave people work, but it also took uh, the life of towns away that like weren't a part of the 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 route of the railroad or when the railroad railroad went away, those towns became ghost towns because no traffic was coming into them. So I feel like just the movement of human evolution always brings these conversations and they're, they're, they're smart conversations to have, but it's, it's fascinating to look at how this conversation has changed and what the topic becomes, you know, one after another. It's, it's just so different and so just mind-blowing how far we've come, in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, and obviously, in this conversation, we're largely around the world of audio. You start getting into synthetic audio, and there's huge efficiency opportunities there. There's really cool creative opportunities, and there's also massive risks around um, you know, the, the space, whether it's deep fakes or even if it's not something as malicious as a deep fake, and it's just synthetic audio that might be used in something that seems kind of, uh, I don't know, inoffensive and doesn't feel problematic at the start, but the, the listener isn't aware it's synthetic audio. Um, we have a pretty strong point of view that actually there's a huge gap in the norms of the space right now. I mean, for lack of a better comparison, there is no hashtag ad for synthetic audio and video today, and we feel there needs to be. There's not an upfront requirement of disclosure if audio or video is uh, computer generated versus being, and I'm, I'm speaking about 
something where the implication is that it's a live person delivering that audio or that video. And it's not to say that that inherently is good or bad, but it is to say that doing it without an explanation to the viewer or the listener that that's what they're, uh, that's the content that they're receiving. Uh, we see that as pretty problematic. So that's one specific instance where we are pretty cognizant that if we're going to put anything out that is leveraging one of these synthetic technologies, uh, today it's really just self-policed that our pro our policy is that we will always make sure that disclosure is right up front and center and that anyone receiving that content should know whether that means a watermark in frame on the video or some kind of an upfront acknowledgement in the audio. We feel pretty strongly about that. Uh, we're hopeful that we can try and drive that to become a bit of a norm in the space. Well, and that problem has been problematic with video still. I think that they're still working on that when you, you know, when the media uh, leaks a video that's been tampered with and you can't tell the difference, like the whole deep fake kind of thing. Like if you've got somebody that's, uh, you know, on camera saying something that didn't actually say it, the same thing is inherent if you have an audio recording of somebody. How do you know if that was actually the senator speaking or if that was a deep fake of some sort? Um, but you're right, there, there needs to be standards to that, um, which they're working on in the visual world still. Absolutely, and I think the, the, uh, the end of your sentence there the, that they're working on it that part is a little scary to me because we meet with a lot of the technologies that you would use to do either the, you know, totally inoffensive applications of something like this where everyone involved thinks it's appropriate, but you could easily imagine the misuse of this technology to do something that's a lot more problematic. And it's not, a, it's not always, sometimes they are very cognizant of those issues and are really trying to be proactive, but a lot of the time they aren't. A lot of these companies that we've met with, um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll say they're often heavily engineering focused and they've found a technical problem and created a really efficient solution for it. And that's something to be excited about. But when you don't also try and do this upfront diligence of imagining the potential and in some cases, I'd say the likely misuse of what you've created, right. then I think you're being negligent. And we, so yeah, we take a, a pretty hard stance on that um, within our group. It's again, yeah, something that both I feel passionately about that we do a lot of speaking about, and then we really try hard to walk the walk in the work we put out and the consultation we do with clients. And uh, going back to the whole like testing and trials and stuff, um, there's a company that I've been hearing about that I, I'm sure you're familiar with too, Veritonic, and they kind of do A/B testing with focus groups as well as all of their analytics that they have uh, accumulated over the years to test out a sound or a, or a song or something like that over a global platform for a company ahead of time. Do you do that sort of uh, like testing in real life to see if the sounds or the, um, the campaigns that you put together, if they're going to be received well, or do you tend to just like push the button and your, your clients are good with it. Like how, how do they feel? Cause I know that just a question on top of a question. I know that a lot of companies want data, you know, that they want to see how it does 
before it does it. <laughs> and um, so I've, I've heard mixed feelings on companies that have to have the data before they make a move. And then other companies that are just like gung ho, let's go, let's, let's try this. What has been your experience with your clients? Are they more gun shy or are they more experimental? Yeah. Um, so I think uh, to the first question around uh, Veritonic specifically and others uh, that, you know, versions of that sort of pre-market testing or initial introduction to market and then evaluating how it's performing right away. Um, and, and I should say like we've, I have not engaged with Veritonic on a specific client brief. I'm very familiar with them, spoken with them and even I think did a podcast with them uh, at ad week earlier this year in London, really impressed by what they put out. It seems, seems pretty strong. Um, as an agency, we have what is kind of unique in, uh, or whether it's unique or not, it's uh, certainly something that we lean into uh, in terms of a perspective on, I'll call it proxy testing, sort of any, any form, whether you're talking about audio or if you go back to video ads or anything else, pre-market testing and trying to pre-vet creative ideas for how they'll perform in market. Um, I think we go in pretty skeptical to the quality of a lot of these proxy tests. And what we would prefer is to find low investment, even in a lot of cases, really low fidelity versions of an idea or in this case of a sound palette that we can find efficient ways to expose and then try and evaluate how they're performing. And inherent in that is being really clear in what does performance mean? What are you trying to evaluate? So uh, that might be kind of a, a roundabout way of saying we aren't opposed to working with any partner who can provide us valuable data. Generally speaking, we would prefer data that is helping us gauge actual market reaction to materials rather than these kind of proxy studies that put something in an artificial context and then try and create a scale to rate it on. And to make that viable, you also have to then say, what's a low-fi, lower-cost way of getting that exposure? If it'd be irresponsible for me to go to a client and say, hey, let's do a half-million-dollar production, throw it out and see how it does. But instead, if we can say, hey, here's some minimum viable product versions of that experience, or here are some lightweight, uh, really called down, but still get the point across assets that we can get in market efficiently, spend still some, but a small fraction of what the final end piece is going to run us, and see how people react to them. And when I say people, it's going to be important about what audiences are we trying to reach? Who's reacting? And what reactions are we looking for? Is it just a positive negative sentiment or are we trying to invoke a certain emotion? Is it about being memorable or is it about uh, whatever your objective may be? Um, so I'd say this is true company-wide at VaynerMedia, whether you're talking about the stuff that we're doing on the Vayner Smart side, other audio channels, or certainly also in more of our video or imagery work. We're really big on putting out a lot of hypotheses and spending the time and energy to read the signals that those things put off and use that as what guides us to kind of find the right answer as opposed to what 
I mean, I'll say in my career earlier before coming here, the process that I usually worked through, which was a pretty long strategy process to justify what we thought was probably the right idea, then rounds and rounds of creative presentation where my intuition played into it and our creative teams played into it and our clients' judgment played into it. And collectively, we all whittled down a bunch of concepts into one final idea. And then we all basically, and also along that way, probably put it into some one of these proxy tests, whether it's a Basie's copy test or whatever that might be, something that we felt could validate our judgment. And then ultimately, all hold hands and say, okay, we're going to spend a whole bunch of money to produce something big, put a big media buy behind it. And then, I don't know, in a few weeks, a month, whatever it is, we'll look back and see how that thing did. We kind of think that the media ecosystem, that's no longer necessary. And it's actually kind of a, a silly risk to take. We should instead spend some of that time that we used to spend arguing over which concept we like best and just find lo-fi ways to put a number of concepts out, feel out how they're doing, and use those responses from the actual market to guide where we're going to go. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I, I think about it a lot how, um, well, my husband and I, we have an audio video production company. So we do a lot of video marketing and uh, people don't say this in so many terms, but they're thinking it. They're like, okay, we want a viral video. Make us a viral video. And that's just not possible. If you're, what you were talking about, like going to the media or whatever, um, you, you can't create something that is just going to catch on. You really don't know. You just have to put stuff out there, um, put quality content out there and see what sticks. So, um, yeah. And, and I think of, uh, like for Sonic branding in specific, you know, like somebody wants to have, uh, the latest Beyonce song because they really like it, but it has nothing to do with their business. And just because Beyonce is topical right now, that song that they put into their marketing may not be relevant in like a week. And if that song isn't relevant, they have become irrelevant. So it makes so much more sense to put the time and effort in to find the, the, sincere representation of your business, of your brand and company, rather than trying to see what else is out there happening. Because that's how we get ahead anyways, is we experiment and try and get ahead of the curve, ahead of what's happening. So why are we spending all this time seeing what's out there right now? We should be going out there and creating something that represents us. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, I fully agree. We, that's where we come back to where we kind of started this conversation, right? That you're going to make a bunch of sounds or you're doing so thoughtfully and choicefully. And for us, that means having a definition of what you want your identity to be. And then the experimentation thing is more around which set of sounds, which songs that you're going to associate with, what sound effects, what voices, all the rest of these sounds are best delivering on that identity that you've decided you want to hold. And in some cases, if it's a you know a sonic logo or something like that, the point might really be primarily association and equity building. Great, then you're going to want to come to a decision relatively quickly and try and be consistent in it. But in other cases, it might be about giving your brand flexibility to play in different spaces. And so maybe you're doing different scoring of assets depending where they're going to run, or different uh, different sound effects depending what context someone's going to be interacting with your brand in. Um, so ultimately, we kind of feel like it's important to have some core identity and be clear on what you're trying to achieve and your objectives. 
and then set up a plan that's flexible that lets you be dynamic and kind of operate all over the place still with some central guiding tenants. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you one more question because, you know, I, I, I like to hear what's out there. We have two different perspectives of, of the world of sound right now. Um, can you give me an example of like a cool advertising campaign or project that's going on that the sound design was like the key player in it? So like the visual couldn't stand on its own without the use of the sound. Is there, is there an example either that Vayner Smart has done or something that you've seen in the media today? Sure. There's a few that come to mind. I mean, you can always, I think that Apple does a phenomenal job in their sound design across a lot of their video assets and within their products and just consistency across the brand. So easy to point to a number of the kind of visually really simple, but sonically really impactful Apple work out there. Uh, it's an old one, but I always go back to and one of the early Under Armour ad campaigns is about click clack, and it still sticks in my head. I think I, I played football growing up, and remember hearing just the click clack of these ads and the the noise, the, that repetitive noise coming through. And to me, it was just walking out the tunnel when we would be uh, getting ready for a, a football game, and it just the it stood for everything that at that time in my life Under Armour meant to me. This. Uh, this performance and going out and you're going to give your all. And it was just the moment before the big competition. Um, I love the way that that sound resonated. And then something we've worked on uh, a little more recently, and I'll come back to the interactive audio spaces. So we did um, a project early this year with NPR, actually the wait, wait quiz. So that's for anyone who's familiar with the show, wait, wait, don't tell me. This is the, interactive extension of that show it's on alexa and google assistant and with that you know there'd be one version of that experience where you might imagine we're just going to ask a few extra questions and it's going to be in that standard alexa voice or the google assistant uh, text-to-speech voice but we were really lucky that we got the engagement of the whole editorial team and actually the talent from that show so it's not only this really fun quiz game and funny content every week like the writers are hilarious on that and what they come up with but it's all the actual host of the show delivering it and so the same level of uh kind of expectation and comfort and familiarity that fans of the show have from listening to it on the radio so for so long now when they go and jump into the interactive game that's all there as well all those same positive associations that fans have been accumulating from listening more passively now when they're playing along they get the same feel every time and that one you know there's accompanying visuals if you happen to have a screen there but it's primarily if not only an audio experience and so much of that comes through the delivery of the sounds that's very cool i'll have to i'll have to check that out i am familiar with that npr show so yeah give it a try. it's fun yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, for talking today. Um, if anyone is interested in more of what you and VaynerSmart is up to, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I think the easiest way are generally to either on a VaynerSmart website, you, if there's any business inquiries, by all means, we've got a submission form there. Otherwise, I'm on LinkedIn, just at Patrick Givens. And those are probably the two most, uh, I'm most responsive in those two spaces. So give me a shout. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. And uh, thanks for everyone joining us today. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To reach Patrick Givens, you can contact him through the VaynerSmart website or through LinkedIn. 
I've provided both links in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, add to your library, and share with a friend. This podcast should be a collaborative event. It should be of benefit to us all. Have you read an interesting article lately? Do you have a question? Please share. You can find me at Dreamer Productions, D-R-E-A-M-R Productions.com, LinkedIn, Facebook, or you can email me at Gina, J-E-A-N-N-A, at DreamerProductions.com. Let's make this world of sound more intriguing, more unique, and more and more on brand.